Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of James. The New Testament book of James in chapter number 2. We're in our series of the lineage of Jesus Christ as we're following the lineage of Jesus Christ. All 64 generations from Adam all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now as we're going through this series, we understand that the New Testament is the best commentary on the Old Testament. And sometimes it reveals some information about these Old Testament people. So we will turn to Genesis in just a moment. But we want to start off in the book of James in chapter number 2. As we introduce the lineage of the person that we are talking about today. The book of James chapter number two found inside of the New Testament. If you're looking for it, you find the very last book, the book of Revelation and turn the other direction. You come to Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter. Then you come to the book of James and then the book of Hebrews after that. Everyone should be able to name the book of the Bible, books of the Bible backwards. And so if you don't mind, look with me in the book of James chapter number 2. James chapter 2, and if you don't mind, let's start off in verse number 20. The book of James chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God." Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And if you're in the habit of marking things, would you mark a name that we find in the book of James chapter number 2? James chapter 2 and verse number 23. Notice the name Abraham. Then I want you to see what God says about Abraham in that same verse. In verse number 23, we see the name Abraham. And notice at the end of it as he was called the friend of God. Abraham, the friend of of God. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house today, to open up your word and to learn more from your word. I'm thankful that the relationship that we have with you can be personable, it could be intimate, and it could be close. I'm asking that you would help us as we explore this passage here and explore the life of Abraham that you would, with your precious spirit, create in us a desire of every born-again believer 
to be close to you, to be intimate with you, to increase our fellowship that we may know you. And again, this is something that only your spirit can do. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of getting your own work accomplished, an amazing work done today through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We understand that the reason why God created man in the first place was for fellowship. God desired to have fellowship. And so out of all of creation, God created Adam. And he created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed in him the breath of life. Now again, we could read the account and ask the question, why did God make man unique? Because God desired to have fellowship with man. Unfortunately, because of sin, sin put a wedge, it put a gulf in between God and man. And so therefore, that fellowship could no longer be close, that sin was in the way. Wonderful thing is that God still wanted to have a close relationship. And so he robed himself in flesh, came in this earth and dwelt among us as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles and the same heartbreaks. And then Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin debt, to pay to forgive us of our sins. Why? Just because we want to be forgiven? Just because we want to be in heaven? The ultimate purpose was because God wanted to restore that fellowship between God and man. God has always wanted to have a close, intimate relationship with man. God wants to have a close, intimate relationship with you. And he wanted it with others as well. And this is why the study of Abraham is an fascinating study. Because in it, we could see three times in the scripture that God himself declared that Abraham was the friend of God. Now, can you imagine going to someone's tombstone? And on someone's tombstone, you don't have a lot of space to write. You can only write a statement, maybe a a paragraph, if it's a, a big tombstone, but maybe just a phrase. And on that tombstone, you come and you could see the friend of God, that you could wrap up the entire person's life with just this one statement. He was the friend of God. What an amazing testimony that would be for someone to be known as the friend of God. And that's exactly what Abraham was known as. We look in the New Testament, one of the last books in the New Testament, we can see that Abraham was called the friend of God. And we know Abraham lived in the time of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And all of the time, the Bible goes back and points, that was the friend of God. That was the friend of God. That was the friend of God. And we understand that Abraham was not an isolated relationship. You had Adam who walked with God in the cool of the garden. You had Enoch who walked with God. You had Moses who spoke to God, or spoke to God, or God spoke to Moses face to face as a man. And you had Abraham who had the relationship with God so close that he was declared the friend of God. Now, so often in our Christian life, we are satisfied with our book knowledge of Christ, but we neglect our personal relationship with knowledge of God. Like Paul said, that I may know him, by name, may know him by experience, not just know his shoe shies or what he wore, things and facts and figures about him. I want to know him personally. 
I want to know who he is. And with that, we want to encourage you as we study the life of Abraham that you yourself can have that walk with God if you want to. Now, as we look in the book of James, we'll just look here and see some context. Notice with me in James chapter 2 and notice with me verse 20. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Now, the book of James is the first book written inside of the New Testament times. And it was written at a time where Christianity was technically considered a sect, a part, a branch of Judaism. And what was happening is that all the Jews uh, who had followed the law and they'd been taught that in order to go to heaven, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. And a stringent idea of religion that when they came to know Christ as their Savior, they said, look, my bonds are free. I no longer have to to keep these rituals. I no longer have to keep these things. And unfortunately, they went a little bit too far and they stopped obeying whatsoever. And they said, I'm free. I'm saved. I don't have to do those things. You're right. In order to be saved, you don't have to do those things. In fact, because I'm saved, I don't do things in order to get something from God. But I do do things because of what God has already done for me. I don't serve God to get something from him. I serve him because of what he's already done. And the book of James here is trying to remind all of those newly uh, saved people that listen, just because you're saved doesn't wipe away the idea that there are still things you should do. They don't get you saved, but there's still a life that you should live. He says, faith without works is dead. So how, how about this? Someone says, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, but I'm still going to the bars. And I'm still hiring prostitutes and I'm still cussing and swearing. Well, does their life match what they say? Not at all. Faith without works is dead. There's nothing to back it up. Words are one thing. It's people's actions that prove belief affects behavior. Belief affects behavior. So he said, faith without works is dead. Now he uses Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Meaning, didn't he prove that he was saved when he offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Now let's pause here. We're going to check into the timeline in just a second, but maybe you know. Was Abraham saved before he brought Isaac to Mount Moriah? The answer is yes. But when he was willing to offer his son, which we'll cover that in a second, it proved that he was saved. It was evidence that he was saved. His actions backed up his belief. Belief affects behavior. Verse number 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. The idea of perfect here is complete or whole. That what happened is that his actions backed up what he said, and it made him a complete Christian, a complete person, a complete believer. That his works backed up with what he said. We've all heard people say, maybe you've said it yourself, do what I say, not what I do. Well, that's an awful way to live. Our work should always back up what we say. Our belief should match our behavior. If you say that you're a Christian, behave like a Christian. If you say that you follow God, then behave like you follow God. They should be consistent in those things. And that is evidence. It makes our faith complete or whole. It makes it where people say, yes, they are a true believer. How do you know that? Not based off of what they said, but based off of how they live their life. 
that faith without works is dead, but with works, faith is made perfect. Now, it's not saying that we're saved by our works, but it is saying that our works will follow if we truly have faith. Verse number 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Why was he called the friend of God? We'll examine that in just a second, but that's an important phrase. Because of his faith, because he was able to be trusted, God said, that's my friend. You see then how by works a man is justified, not by faith alone. Only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them a different way? Now, we'll talk about Rahab later, but Rahab proved that she believed by her actions. And then verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Here's the definition of dead, that there's a separation. If we had a funeral here and their body was in the casket, but their soul is somewhere else, we would say they're dead. Well, if you say that I have faith, but your works do not back up evidence that, then your faith is dead. There's a separation there. You have faith here, but your works are somewhere else. And it's just giving a picture here to give us an understanding that if you are truly saved, if you are someone that says, I follow after Jesus, then your life is going to evidence it. And thus, this is why Abraham was called the friend of God because his relationship was backed up with his works, dealing with his relationship, his fellowship with God. Now, before we cover Abraham, let's cover this idea of a friend. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. And let's define our terms. When we talk about being the friend of God, we have to describe what is a friend. Let's define what a friend is. What is the requirements of a friend? The book of Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. Proverbs 18 verse 24. Notice this. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And notice that's a conjunction. This puts these two thoughts together. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, so many times people will take these, this verse and break it up and make them separate. We know that there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a friend that sticketh closer to a brother. But notice what comes before that. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than the brother. By the way, if we have a friend that sticketh closer to the brother and we want him to be our friend, what must we do? Show ourselves friendly. Now, if we're going to be friends with someone, there are two requirements that are necessary. In order to be a friend inside of any relationship between a husband and wife, between two friends at church, between two friends uh, and school, what is the requirements to be friends? Two requirements, time and trust. Time and trust. In order to be friends with someone, you must spend time with them. And in order to be friends with someone, there has to be a mutual trust between those two people or it is not a friendship. Now with that defined, let's examine these elements inside of the life of Abraham and let's see why he was indeed called the friend of God. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Genesis in chapter number 12. 
the book of Genesis chapter 12. And the first thing I want to show you in Abraham's life is that Abraham was God's friend in the time he spent with God. First of all, Abraham was the God's friend in the time that he spent with God. One of the things as you study the life of Abraham is that Abraham's always talking with God. And the Bible actually records several different instances where God and Abraham had a conversation. He spoke to each other. They spent time with each other. Notice if you don't mind here. God in chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, we could see that God called Abraham and he left uh, his own nation. Chapter 12 verse 1. Now Abraham, now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. So here is Abraham. And God spoke to him personally. And said, Abraham, I want you to follow after me. And I'm not going to tell you where, you just follow me. And he said, yes sir. There was that element that they spent time with each other. And spent with him. Now, Remember in high school that we had our bestest friends in all the world and that we were going to be friends with them forever? Now that many of you are adults, how are you doing with that friendship? Well, they've kind of departed. Why? Because all relationships must have constant attention to them. And that if you stop spending time with people, there becomes a distance between you and people. Over time, it gets further and further until you're no longer close. Well, the same thing's true about being with God. That there has to be constant time and attention we have to spend with God. And that when you stop reading your Bible and you stop praying, by the way, those are how you spend time with God. That when we read our Bible, He speaks to us. And when we pray, we speak to Him. When you neglect Bible reading, when you neglect that prayer time, you start to have more distance between you. In order to stay close to God, you must be friends and you must show yourself friendly, and you must spend time with God to allow that conversation to go with God. Now again, in in Genesis chapter 12, God is speaking with Abraham. We see it again in the book of Genesis 13, uh, chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. We're not going to turn there, but God speaks to Abraham after Lot's cowboys had a problem with Abraham's cowboys. And Abraham said, whichever direction you go, I'll go the other direction. And when Lot picked a direction, Abraham went the different direction. God came to him and said, hey, why'd you do that? I gave you all of this. This is all of yours. You had every right to say it's all mine. And God was in a conversation with Abraham afterwards they had that close of a relationship. They spent time with each other. We see that again in chapter 15 verses 1 through 6 where God spoke to Abraham and Abraham believed God. He said, God said, hey, I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to make some promises for you. Notice with me in chapter 15 verses 1 through 6. Uh, chapter 15, Genesis 15, uh, notice with me verse 1. And after these things, the, sword, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, 
Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Let me pause there. What was Abraham's great reward? God. God was. You know, when we have that relationship with God and we seek after him, he will be found and he becomes a reward. That was the goal of the relationship was that he may know God. And that was the goal. And God was his reward. Verse number two. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me? Seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born of my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this shall not be thine heir. But he that cometh forth out of thine own bowels shall be heir. Now, this is interesting. We have a conversation. God comes to Abraham and Abraham says, God, since you're here, I got a question. You promised me a child. How am I going to get this child seeing that the heir of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? He's not even one of my kids, but he's the one who's going to inherit everything if it's going to die here. And God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do, Abraham. We could see they're in a conversation. They're spending time with each other. Notice what happens in verse number five. And he brought him, so God brought Abraham forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. So God pulls Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Let's go look at the stars together. Let's look at the stars. Abraham, that's what your kids are going to be like. Your descendants are going to be like. Can you imagine that relationship where God says, come here, Abraham, and they walk out together and they're looking, they're spending time with each other. Verse number six, and he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he, God, counted to him, Abram, for righteousness. Here God says, you see all these stars here? Your kids what your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. And Abraham says, I believe you. And God says, I'm glad you do. We could see that they have this relationship together. That Abraham's the friend of God because they spent time. Have you ever spent time like that with God? Have you ever spent time just talking with God? Not just talking at God, but talking with God. God I just want to talk with you and let's just have a t conversation about church. God, what are you doing with the Riverview Baptist Church? God, what are you doing with my sister? God, and just talk with God. And God wants to speak with you. I'm not a crazy person, by the way. You could talk with God and you could pour out your heart and you can have that close relationship and he could speak back to you and you can conversate. Now, I'm not talking about spooky voices and I'm not talking about angels from heaven going, oh, as the light comes upon you. But you can have a real relationship with God. You can have a real fellowship and intimacy Notice as God speaks to him again in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 and notice with me in uh, verse number 1. God now makes some more promises to Abram and repeats some of these things. Genesis 17 verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me. And be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee. And multiply thee exceedingly. And then he goes ahead and repeats these conversations. And is in the midst of this. 
And uh, notice what he says um, as we go to verse number five. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And he goes on, and he tells him more about the promises. And then notice with me in verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, and I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And they go on and have this conversation. But can you see this intimate fellowship that God had with Abram? That they spent time with each other. And they were able to tell each other things. Abraham was able to talk to God. Said, God, I don't understand what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What do I need to do? And God was able to turn around and spend some time with Abraham. That we understand if we're going to have a good friendship with God, that the first ingredient is time. We must spend time with God. This is why we repeat week after week, the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in the word of God yourself. That without being in God's word, you are not spending time with God. And that relationship between you and God is not going to be close. In fact, the more time you could spend with the Bible, the more time you're going to spend with God. And that relationship is going to get closer and closer. You must, you must, you must spend time with God. There is no other, no other way. There is no other substitute for you to be close to God if you do not spend time with Him. We know that there's a second element to this idea of friendship, that the idea of trust. But trust goes two ways. A second thing I want to show you is that Abram was God's friend because he trusted God. Abram was God's friend because he trusted God. Now someone will say, of course God is trustworthy. Well, remember, belief should follow behavior. If you believe that God can be trusted, you should be trusting him. It's one thing to say, sure, I trust God, but go ahead and do whatever you want anyways. Abraham proved he trusted God by his actions. And probably the ultimate form of action was found in Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter 22, and we can see that Abraham, Abraham trusted God because of his actions. What we find in this passage here, of course, is the well-known passage of Abraham bringing Isaac with the idea that he was going to sacrifice him at God's command. Notice, first of all, as we talk about this, Abraham, uh, the obedience of Abraham. The obedience of Abraham. Notice with me in chapter 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abram, Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. Once again, here's this relationship. God says, Abraham, and he says, I'm here. Having that time they spent together. He's ready to respond. Verse number two, And he, God, said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell of thee. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. Notice this. Abraham obeyed immediately. He didn't wait. He didn't put it off. The next morning he rose up early to accomplish what God gave him to do. Why? Because he trusted God. 
and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave to the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Notice this. That Abram prepared himself to obey. Not only did he obey immediately, but he also gathered up everything he needed so he could obey God. That's part of being obedient is that you prepare to be obedient. And then on the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abram said unto his young men, Abide here ye with ass, and I and the lad, by the way, the lad is 33 years old, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again. No, notice he told the two men to, to stay behind. What he's doing is removing all obstacles that may stop his obedience. Don't you think if these two guys knew what was going to happen, they'd probably say, hey, wait a second here. That's probably not the best thing to do. But he knew that they were going to probably object, rightfully so. And so he removed them, removed anything that would keep him from obeying. Praise the Lord. But not only this, you see the submissiveness of Isaac. Notice with me verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abram his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Notice it's the same thing he said to God. When uh, God spoke, he said, Here am I. When his son spoke, he said, Here am I. Once again, showing this fellowship. It's a normal fellowship that you can have with God that you could have with others. That you should have a close friendship with God. Anyways, in verse number... Um, Seven, Isaac says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac was no fool, and that's a legitimate question. But he's not being rebellious. He trusts his dad. He has a good relationship. Verse number eight, and Abram said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went up together. Now notice, Abraham has such faith in God, he's able to tell his son, God's able to provide. I trust God. God is able to do something here. Verse number nine. So they came to the place which God told him of, and Abram built an off altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, we see the submissiveness of Isaac. Why are we saying this? Because Abraham's 133 Isaac is 33. There's no way a 133-year-old guy is going to tie up a man in his prime and put him upon the altar. We know that Abraham raised his son right, and his son trusted his dad. Didn't know how it was going to work out, but they trusted him, and he willingly laid himself on the altar. Isn't that a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? That Jesus willingly laid himself on the altar to pay for our price. That God provided himself a lamb to pay for our price. than when we deserve to be the ones to die. And that God paid that price. But here we have the submissiveness of Isaac here. He trusted his dad and submitted to biblical authority. You know, one thing in our country is that people have mixed the definition of freedom with rebellion. And they think it means the same thing. It does not. God gives us the freedom not to sin, but he gives us liberty to choose to follow after God. And that we choose to obey him. Notice as we continue to go on here. <coughs> um, as we see this submissiveness, where did the wood come from? Remember, Abraham brought it, but who carried it? Isaac carried his own wood to the altar. That he willingly laid himself down. Again, so many pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, obedience starts with the small things. 
He didn't fight his dad about carrying the wood. He willingly carried it up there. Now, of course, they have the altar here. They're ready to go. We see the provision of God. That Abraham uh, <coughs> puts Isaac up on there, puts the wood in order, bound his son, laid him upon the altar. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord came unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. That's the third time he said it in this passage here. Of course, for that one, he was waiting for it. Can you imagine? Uh, it wasn't, wait, hold on one second, let me finish this. It was an immediate stop. Yes, I don't have to do this. And God says, I was just testing you. I trust you and you prove that you trust me. And God provided himself a lamb. Of course, <clears throat> Abraham looked and saw there was a ram caught in the thicket and they brought it and they sacrificed. And because of that, Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides and again, this whole story is a picture, is an illustration, it is proof that Abraham trusted God with his only son, the son of promise, the son that he waited a hundred years for, and he proved that he trusted God with his son. That Abraham believed that God could raise from the dead, that God could do something, and that God is going to keep his promises about the stars in the sky. And I don't know how it's going to work out, God, it doesn't make sense to me, but I trust you and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. There was this element of trust. Now remember trust goes two ways. You can trust someone, but if they don't trust you, there's not going to be a close relationship. We know that Abraham and God spent time together. That was one of the reasons why Abraham was God's friend. We know that Abraham was God's friend because Abraham could trust God. But we also understand that Abraham was God's friend because God could trust God. Abraham. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 18. The book of Genesis chapter 18. And in the book of Genesis chapter 18, God has just uh, spent time um, eating a meal with Abraham and telling him his promises, just changed his name in the chapter before to Abraham and changed his wife's name to Sarah. And God is planning to do something with Sodom and Gomorrah and the seven cities of the plain. And I want you to look with me in the book of Genesis chapter 18. And notice with me starting at verse number 16. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abram went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, now notice God is speaking to himself here. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the Lord shall be blessed in him. Let's pause there. So Abraham's about ready to do something to Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they're walking, God is thinking to himself, can you imagine we actually get what's going inside of God's mind? And God says, should I tell Abraham, I know that we're going to do something with Abraham. Should I tell him what I'm going to do? Now, what's God's decision? What does he come up to? What is the conclusion in God's thinking? Verse number 19. For I know him. God is saying this. Sure, I'll tell Abraham because I know him. And that carries the idea he could trust him. How do we know he could trust him? For I know him that he, Abraham, will command his children 
and his household after him. I could trust Abraham because Abraham's going to raise his kids right. He's going to raise his household right. He's going to instruct them right. I could trust him. And they, the people that Abraham uh, taught, shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he's spoken. Notice this conclusion. God's saying in itself. Abraham doesn't know that God's speaking to himself. God says, shall I tell Abraham, seeing what is going to happen with him? And he comes, yes, I can. Because I trust him. And this is why I could trust him. You know trust is a two way thing. We understand that you should trust God. But that doesn't mean you do. But the other question is. Can God trust you? Can God trust you with information. That you're going to do something with it correctly. Can God trust you with obedience. Knowing that you're going to get it done. Can God trust you? Are you trustworthy? Well, that's a pretty convicting thought, isn't it? Can God trust me? Do I have a close enough relationship? Does God know my life that I'm going to do what he's telling? Or am I going to argue and fight? God, you're stupid. I don't like the way you do that. Well, then you're not going to get very good on trusting God. Are you going to fight with him every step of the way? I don't care what you say, God. I'm not going to read my Bible. Well, then God can't trust you. Can God trust you to say, I need you to go take care of this. And I know it's unusual. I know it's strange. But I know you'll have no problems doing what I tell you to do. Yes, sir. Can God trust you? Or do you fight with everything? Or do you weigh it out and say, well, you know, I want to see what the benefits are, the pros and cons. God wants to see, can he trust you? Are you trustworthy? Well, we know according to Abraham's testimony that he was. Now, by the way, the story doesn't stop there. God says, all right, God, or Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the seven plains of the city. And I'm going to wipe them out because of the sin. I'm just tired of their sin. I'm tired of them. And Abraham says, well, there's a lot of people down there. God, what happens if you find 40 saved people? God says, I won't destroy it if I find 40. And Abraham says, well, you know, I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me speak. What happens if you miss five? What happens if there's 35? I won't destroy them if I find 35 saved people. God, you've been very patient with me. Now I'm paraphrasing. You could read it for yourself, but I'm explaining the story. And Abraham talks God to 10 saved people. 10 saved people in seven cities. Abraham was pretty confident because his... uh, His nephew Lot's there and Lot's married and he has two unmarried daughters and two married daughters who have son, who he has sons-in-law and then he has two sons at the very least. Well, if Lot won his own household of the Lord, then Abraham was confident there's 10 right there that these cities are going to be spared. But can you imagine the friendship and the trust that God had with Abraham to even allow this conversation to come. Abraham, I'm going to destroy these these seven cities. But God, what happens if you find saved people? What about 40? God, I, I don't want to be rude. And he goes all the way to 10. What a great trust that God had in Abraham to have this conversation. Normally a conversation is God says, this is what's going to happen, done. But Abraham was so trusted in God, had such a close relationship that he was able to talk God if he found 10 saved people. 
Will you not destroy them? Unfortunately, they couldn't even find 10 saved people inside of those seven cities. What a heartbreaking thing. But for here, we could see this close friendship and relationship that Adam or Abraham had with God. Now that brings us back to us. Do you have a desire? Is there something inside of you that you want this friendship with God? Now, first of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's what needs to happen first. Because sin puts a wedge in between you and God and that you cannot have a close relationship with God until you first of all know that your sins are forgiven and you've accepted Christ as your Savior. But beyond that, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Is there something inside of you that says, I want that. I want to be close to God. I want to have that relationship with God. I want to be God's friend. Well, what's required to be God's friend? First of all, you have to be willing to spend time with God. Dear friend, if you're at a place where you're hit and miss with your Bible reading, you will not be close to God. If you're at the place where you swallow the lie that a chapter a day keeps the devil away, you're not going to be close to God. You have to spend time with him and his word. And you have to spend time with him in prayer. One of the reasons why people aren't so close to God is because they won't pray. The average church person only prays five minutes a day. If I spent only five minutes a day with my wife, do you think we'd have a close relationship? Probably not. If you spent just five minutes a day with your kids, would you have a close relationship with your kids? No. We understand that in order to have a close relationship, you have to spend time with God. That includes allowing Him to speak to you and you be willing to speak to Him. In Bible reading, and in prayer. Do you spend time with God? The second idea is trust. First of all, do you trust God? Well, how do I prove that I trust God? Do you obey Him? Are you willing to trust Him with your finances? Trust Him with your family? Trust Him with your worries, your cares? Can you trust Him? And then the third thing, can He trust you. Does he know that you're going to obey or does he say, oh, I'm going to tell them what to do and then they're just going to fuss and fight and they're not going to do it anyways. That's not going to be a close relationship. Can they trust you? You know, one of the amazing things is that people can be close to God. The other amazing thing is how rare it is. Very few people get close to God. May I show you one more passage and probably one of the most frightening passages in all of the Word of God. The book of Ezekiel chapter 22. The book of Ezekiel chapter 22. Now, of course, Ezekiel is preaching to the captives um, in Babylon. Their, Jerusalem hasn't fallen yet. Babylon has already taken many of the Hebrew people captive. And Ezekiel is one of the pastors of those people. And God is using Ezekiel to try to draw the people close. And in here, he talks about that God is sending judgment because her priests have violated my law, that they have showed no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the clean and the unclean. That the Christians have no longer a separated life. The believers have no longer a separated life. They're living just like the heathen do. And then... God says what he's looking for in Ezekiel chapter 22. And notice with me verse 30. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. And I, this is God, I sought for a man. Notice that's singular. I'm not looking for a group of people. I'm not looking for a plethora of people. I'm not looking for a nation of people. 
I'm looking for a person, a man, a singular. I'm looking for someone among them that should take up the hedge. That means get in between God and the world. To stand in the gap before me and the land. I said, God says, I'm looking for someone who will be able to go and say, God, please don't destroy the land. God, please spare us. Show us mercy. And then that same person go to the land, go to the people and say, people, obey God. Please obey God. He loves you and he wants the best for you. Turn to him. He's looking for a man to stand in the gap. Just one person to stand in the gap. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, that stand in the gap before me in the land, that I should not destroy it. I'm looking for someone to give me a reason not to destroy the land. But notice these haunting words. But I found none. I'm looking for a man to be my friend. A person that will trust me and that I can trust. A man to stand in the gap and spend time with me. Give me a reason not to destroy the land. Isn't that what Abraham did? Abraham stood in the gap and gave God a reason not to destroy the seven cities of the plain. God says, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. Someone to have that close relationship with me. Someone to be that intimate. Someone that I can trust. Someone to be my friend. But I found none. Dear friend, what I'm asking you today is will you be that man? Will you be that person? Will you be that person who to stand in the gap to give God a reason not to destroy our land? Someone to be that close to God, to be able to talk to God and God can trust and that God could do something inside of our land. God has said, I'm looking for someone. And what we're asking is God is looking for someone. I'm looking for someone. Will it be you that says, I will be God's friend. I want to be spend time with God. I want to trust God. I want him to trust me. I want to be known as the friend of God so God can spare our land. Remember, you are always as close to God as you want to be. God is open. He wants to be close to you. How close you are to him right now is because that's how close you want to be. You can be closer if you want. And God's waiting for you. He's looking for someone to say, that's me. I will be God's friend. That's me. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.